So let me invite you, if you have a Bible, to turn to the book of Ephesians, uh, either in a, uh, a, a real Bible or, or your iPad or your phone. Uh, we're going to be in Ephesians for the next few weeks. Um, what's most important about that video is not that you read and saw what other people think it means to be in Christ but that each one of us understand what that means for us, to be able to answer, ask the question, am I in Christ? And if I am in Christ, what difference does that make in my life? How does that play out? And if I'm not, ought I be in Christ? Is that something that, that would be helpful for me or beneficial for me? Uh, that's the reason why we're studying the book of Ephesians, to really dive deeply into that, that phrase, in Christ, which if you read the book of Ephesians, you will see over and over and over again. Uh, but a few of my staff members have asked me over the last few months, you know, why Ephesians? Uh, and there are a lot of good reasons to go to Ephesians. I mean, we're, we're Presbyterians, so the first thing I think of is that it was John Calvin's favorite book in the New Testament. He loved uh, Ephesians. You know, if you're, if you're a Presbyterian, you got to love John Calvin. That's like in the rule book. Uh, and so he said it was the crown and climax of Pauline theology. So we could just stop there and say, well, if it's good enough for him, it's good enough for us. But there's a little bit more reason uh, than that. And so the phrase I've put there is that it's a rich book. It, it, it's full of, of, of deep uh, waters and, and, and a lot of things uh, and teachings that I, I believe will nurture our souls. Uh, one person who liked to use big words said, it is the distilled essence of the Christian religion, the most authoritative and most co uh, consummate compendium of our holy Christian faith. You probably need a thesaurus to figure out what he said, but in a word, what he said was, wow. <laughs> there, there's a lot there. So it's rich. Secondly, I think also it's very practical. John Stock called it the most contemporary book in the New Testament, and he went on to say things like this. Ephesians promises community in a world of disunity. Ephesians, prom Ephesians promises reconciliation in the place of alienation. You think about people feeling alienated, feeling separated, feeling alone. And Ephesians speaks to family and to community. Ephesians promises peace instead of war. So simply, from a practical point of view, it's a good book of the Bible for us to spend some time studying. But I, I also thought of my reasons for why I wanted us as a spiritual family to dive into Ephesians for the foreseeable or immediate future. And the word that kept coming up in my mind was the word order. Uh, it's important in life that, that we do things uh, in a correct order. If we want something to work, uh, we better make sure we go about it the right way. You might buy a new car, have a beautiful new car you want to drive around town, but if you forget to put gas in it, it, it doesn't matter how nice a new car is, it's not going to go anywhere. There's a, an order to that. If you think, I've never played golf before, but I'm going to go out and I'm going to play golf, and I'm pretty confident that I'm going to get a hole-in-one on my very first shot, my very first swing of a golf club, I'm pretty sure you have things a little bit backwards there. If you are a student and you walk into an exam, having not been to any of the lectures, having not done the homework and prepared, chances are you don't have things in the right order. Last night, I dreamed that I was in my 10th grade algebra class, and I was sitting there and being handed the final. And I could not recall having gone to class all semester or having done one ounce of algebra homework, and I woke up in a cold sweat. Now, I know why I have that dream, because I have it on specific occasions. I have it when I feel like I haven't prepared enough. And so this morning, you might be a victim of my lack of preparation, because <laughs> I was certainly feeling it last night at 3 o'clock in the morning. But there's something about an order to life. 
There's something about understanding the, the, the proper way that things must fall if our lives are going to uh, be lives that have an impact for the kingdom of God. And, and Paul does that for us. He, he tells us what's most important, and he tells us what comes out of that and how our life ought to flow. And so I think those are all wonderful reasons for us at Green Tree as we embark on kind of the next stage of our journey. We think about having moved into our building. Now we've been in the building almost three years. It'll be three years the first Sunday of October. What's next for Green Tree Community Church? What's the vision that God is giving us? I believe uh, that he has one for us. And I believe if we, we seek it out, he will, he will show it to us. But I also believe at that point, it's right for us to follow and, and, and be uh, faithful to his calling in our lives. And I believe Ephesians will help us with that. So this morning, we're going to bounce around a little bit in Ephesians. Uh, we're going to, actually, let me give you a quote from Martin Lloyd-Jones when it comes back to that, that point of order. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who's a great theologian of the 20th century, talked about the Ephesians in these terms. He said, it is essential to emphasize that there's no gospel and no salvation apart from Jesus Christ. So I'm talking about Christianity apart from Christ. They talk about forgiveness, but the name of Christ is not mentioned. They talk about God's love, but in their view, the Lord Jesus Christ is not essential. It is not so for the Apostle Paul. There is no gospel, no salvation apart from the Lord Jesus. All God's gracious purposes are carried out by Christ, in Christ, and through Christ from the beginning to the end. Everything that God in his sovereign will and by his infinite grace and according to the riches of his mercy and the mystery of his will, everything that God has purposed and carried out for our salvation, he has done in Christ. There is no Christian message apart from him. That is what we are going to seek to discover and to apply to our lives over the next few weeks. So in Ephesians this morning, we're going to look at a couple of verses out of chapter one, a handful of verses out of chapter four, and one verse out of chapter two here the Word of God. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Then in chapter Paul, which in chapter Paul 4 says, in chapter 4 Paul says, I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit of the bond of peace. And then in verse 15, he talks about our growth in Christ, our, our maturing, uh, our becoming uh, more deeply connected to him. And he says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ. And then in chapter 2, verse 10, after Paul completes this astounding uh, explanation of the gospel of Jesus Christ, he completes his thoughts with these words, for we, the Christian community, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is the reading of God's holy and perfect word. To him alone be glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you this morning for your astounding salvation. We have sung, great is your faithfulness. Uh, we, have, we have in voice and unison have talked about the glory of our God. Fathers, we live in a, a broken world. 
we are encouraged when we come together, when we are reminded of your grace and of your, of your compassion and of your passion for us. But Father, we also uh, want to be able to live in that reality, live in that truth. And Lord, at times we struggle greatly with that, to know what it means to be in Christ, to, to put first things first, and to allow you to order our lives to the end that, that they would be richer and fuller and more filled with your grace and your mercy, that the world would know the glory and the beauty that is the Lord Jesus. So Father, I thank you for these words that you gave to the Apostle Paul. I thank you that while he wrote them uh, some 2,000 years ago, they are just as practical today as they were when he penned them. And so Lord, we pray that you would teach us. Forgive my sin. Please do not let me stand in the way of your glorious truth. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The sermon in a sentence this morning is, is actually two brief sentences. By God's grace, we are in Christ Jesus through faith. Who we are is demonstrated by how we live. So what we're going to do this morning is we're going to take that, those two sermons and we're going to slice them into three pieces and we're going to look at each ingredient and how they hopefully come together. The first of these three is simply by God's grace. Let me take you back to the introduction to the book of Ephesians or to the letter to the church in Ephesus. And Paul explains that he is an apostle of Christ Jesus. How? By the will of God. He's speaking there of God's sovereignty. He's speaking of the fact that God is in control, that he is Lord, and that things don't happen by happenstance. Things don't happen by chance, but they are by God's design. And his design is a design of grace and mercy and compassion. Paul was, in previous life, was not an apostle. He was Saul the Pharisee who went about putting uh, Christians in prison and trying to kill them. So when he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, he knows about that which he speaks because he had never had an intention in his heart anywhere at any moment at any time to be a disciple of Jesus. You might be sitting here this morning and say, I'm here because I'm I'm curious, or I'm here because a a friend brought me or a spouse asked me to come, but I have no intention of putting my faith in Christ Jesus. I would encourage you not to hang out with the Apostle Paul very much if that's your intention, because that's exactly what he thought, and if it could happen to him, it could happen to you. So you might want to be on your toes about that. But Paul understood that God was sovereign, that he was in control. Grace and peace to you from Paul? No, from God our Father. Paul understood that that God was acting out of his will, and that God's will was what? It was grace, and it was peace. But we read in Ephesians of a very active God. You remember that that army commercial, probably, I don't know, probably maybe 10 years ago now, and their, their big catchphrase was, we do more before nine in the morning than most people do all day. And my guess is they recruited a bunch of morning people and people that don't like to get up before 10 o'clock in the morning pretty much checked that one off the list and said, okay, the army is definitely not for me. But their point was, boy, we're out there and we're doing it and and we're getting after it. I'm going to give you just a small sampling. And remember, Ephesians is only six chapters long and all of the longest chapters, like 34 verses, it's a very short letter. And I'm just going to give you a, a touch of what Paul speaks to when he speaks to the activity of God. Paul says that that God has chosen, that God has blessed, that God is in the business of lavishing his love, that God is actively making himself known, that he's made us alive, that he's preparing things for us, that he has brought us near, he's called, he's given, he unites. In all of this, Paul is saying that God initiates his plan. 
and he executes his plan. And he does it from a position of sovereignty. He's the only one that can bring about salvation. If you're here this morning thinking Green Tree Community Church could save you, or you just hang around some good people, and then when God kind of figures out who's going where, you'll be hanging out with the good people and you'll go with them, you're, you're sadly mistaken. Paul understands that only God can bring about salvation. So he speaks that our focus should be on God, that our attention doesn't go from ourselves first to God second, but rather we begin with God and we draw down to ourselves. And so he speaks of God's sovereignty, but he also speaks of God and why our focus should be on him because God is a revealer, because God is not hiding behind the clouds. He's not in heaven keeping himself distant and, and hoping that you maybe figure it out at some point. Uh, there's a scene in the, in the most recent make of the movie, The Murder on the Orient Express, where uh, the detective is, is questioning one of the suspects. And, he, and he's asking if there was a time in her life when something went terribly wrong and she made a terrible mistake. And she said, yes, and I suppose that God was busy, meaning that he didn't have time for her, to which the detective replied, God is always busy. And you're not quite sure whether he's saying that he didn't miss it or he's agreeing with her that, that God didn't have time for her. But God's busyness is not a busyness that overlooks us. God's busyness is actually an intentional move towards us to draw us to himself. And so Paul says that he reveals himself to us. In verses one, uh, seven through nine of, of chapter one, he puts it this way. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. God is in the business, not of hiding from you, not of hiding from me, but entering into a very intentional relationship, inviting us into intimacy. And so Paul rightly says our focus ought to be on God and his grace, but also because of God's power. God alone is the one who has the ability to bring about redemption. In chapter uh, one, verses seven, or excuse me, go to the, to the next screen if you would. In chapter two, verses four through six, Paul speaks about the power of God. And he says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, did what? Made us alive together with Christ, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places. Now, a couple things ought to, ought to jump out uh, to you if, you if you're paying attention at all. The first is this, making somebody alive, I've never seen it. Maybe you have. I've never seen somebody get up out of a grave. I've never seen somebody get up out of a casket. I've been, uh, in my line of work, I've been probably now at, to hundreds of memorial services and funerals at this stage in my career. And I've wept with families and we, we, have, we have said our, our goodbyes or, or our see you laters, uh, thankfully for the hope that is in Christ, but I've never seen somebody get up out of a casket. But this verse says that we were spiritually dead and God has the power to give us a life that no one else can give us. And how do we know that's true? Well, what, the second thing that ought to jump out to you is that it says that we've been raised up and already seated with him in the heavenly places. Now, I like our new building. I, I hope you like our new building, but I'm pretty sure this isn't a heavenly place. You're not seated this morning in heaven. You're seated this morning at Green Tree Community Church. And you might say, yeah, and I don't want to be seated here too long, so get on with it, would you please? Okay, I'll be happy to. But what Paul is saying, inspired by the Spirit of God, is it's as good as done. That if you're a disciple of Jesus this morning, by faith, 
You are already seated in the heavenly places with Christ, and nothing is ever going to change that. That's a great message of hope when I'm despairing. That's a great message of assurance when I feel like I've blown it one more time, and maybe God is going to just let me go this time. Paul says, not a chance. God has already seated you in the heavenly places. So Paul rightly says to us, by God's grace, our focus must start with our God. But secondly, he says this, by God's grace, we are what? We're in Christ Jesus through faith. And taking you back to the, the introduction, right? To all the faithful in Christ Jesus. Paul's going to use that phrase in the book of Ephesians at least 25 times that I've found so far. And every time I think as I'm reading through Ephesians, okay, I found all of them. Another one of them pops up. There's going to be, I'm going to give you a, a quick preview. There's going to be only one application to this sermon this morning. That's going to be, I want everybody to start reading the book of Ephesians every day. Now, you may not be able to read the whole thing, although if, if you sit down, and I'm a slow reader, and I can read the entire letter to the Ephesians in about 15 minutes, so it's not going to take a lot of time, but at least read one chapter a day. But I want all of us to begin reading this book, because you're going to see over and over again, in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Himself, and start underlining that. I found 25, you might find more. Every time I think I'm done, another one pops up. This is the theme of the book of Ephesians. What does it mean for you and for me to be in Christ? It means that we are secure. It means that we are saved. It means that we are fulfilled. And it means infinitely more than that. And so perhaps for some of us uh, in this sermon series, we're going to be introduced for the first time to Jesus. And that's a great thing. Uh, many of us could tell you about our first interaction with him, about the first time he became real to us about the first moment when kind of the light came on and we understood at least the outer edges of his love and his grace and his power and his mercy and his, and his desire to redeem us. And so we, we rejoice in this opportunity to know him and to be found in him. So maybe you're going to be introduced, but maybe it's a reacquaintance. Maybe, maybe you, you're a believer and you're a disciple, but you've drifted a little bit. And boy, it's a busy summer, or, or I've had some tough things in my life, and I feel a bit distanced from, from the Lord Jesus. This may be a study that, that's going to reacquaint you with his grace and mercy, or it may be that it's a study that simply takes you deeper in your relationship with him. Paul says, I remember you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, you may, that you may know what the hope is to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? What is immeasurably, the immeasurable greatness of his power to us who believe in Christ? That's, that's relationship language. That, that's God introducing himself to us. That's God reacquainting himself with us. That's God drawing us to him in a deeper way. And so this notion of being in Christ is absolutely vital to your identity as a believer and mine as well. But that's just the first sentence in the sermon, the sentence. There are two sentences. And, my, and the third piece of this text this morning is we are, uh, excuse me, who we are, disciples of Jesus, that's the assumption, is demonstrated by how we live. Who we are is demonstrated by how we live. So in chapter four, and let me pause for a second here. If you want a really simple, simple outline of the book of Ephesians, this is, this is a bit abbreviated, but it's close enough. The first three chapters are theology. 
In the first three chapters, Paul says, here's kind of what you ought to believe. Here's what you need to know. And then chapters four through six are really the application of that theology. Now, there's some application in one through three, and there's some theology in four through six, but that's, that's a safe breakup of the text. We're going to be in the, in the theology part of this for the fall. We're going to be lo- fall. We're going to be looking at the first three chapters, but there's a purpose behind that. And Paul gets to that at the beginning of chapter four, when he says, therefore... A prisoner, as a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Well, what does that look like? Well, what does it mean to walk in a manner worthy? Well, let me tell you some things. With all humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with each other in love, which means not just putting up with each other, kind of shaking our heads and going, well, they're a bunch of knuckleheads, but they're my knuckleheads, but bearing with one another because of love. I bear with you and you bear with me, not just because we got to, but actually because there's a supernatural love in our hearts for one another. That's an astounding thing. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. That, that, what that says, I'm not going to be a rabble rouser. I'm not going to go causing stirring up strife just for the sake of stirring up strife because I like to see how people react. I'm not going to take the stick and beat the beehive to see what the bees do. But I desire the unity of the body. Well, how do we do that? Speaking the truth and love to one another, we grow up into every way into him who is the head into Christ. That's the application that's demonstrated in how we live. So being in Christ is transformative. There's an inward renewal. That's what's spoken about in the first three chapters. But there's always, therefore, an outward change. It always leads to my relationship with others. Case in point this morning, (laughs) and I'm getting in the car this morning. Cindy and I trade cars on Sunday morning. Cindy and my wife, we trade cars on Sunday morning. For those of you who don't know me, like, oh, he trades cars with some woman. She's, I'm married to her. She has a pickup truck. Why, I don't know. She loves pickup truck. I have a nice little Volkswagen Passat that can whip in and out of traffic and, and parallel park real easily, and I don't bump into stuff with it. She has a big old pickup truck. But we trade on Sunday mornings because she brings my mom to the 11 o'clock service, and my mom can't get up in the pickup truck. It's another reason not to have a pickup truck. You're going to get old someday. So we trade cars. Now, you will never get in my car. Where, where's Sarah Fisher? I saw you come in this morning. Sarah, I'm not picking on you. You're never going to get in my car where there's less than half a tank of gas. Sarah told us a hysterical story one time about how they ran out of gas on a trip. Uh, One of the funniest stories I've ever heard. I have gas tank righteousness, right? (laughs) If you have a quarter of a tank in your gas, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but if you have a quarter of a tank or less in your gas tank today, you are in gross sin, okay? (laughs) I'm I'm, I'm just going to say it, all right? And Sarah was the victim of that. She could tell you her story someday about that. I got in Cindy's truck this morning, turned it on, and now what do cars tell you? They tell you how many miles you have till empty, right? And I look at this, and it says I have 20 miles till empty. <laughs> I mean, the needle's below the E, okay? All right, yeah, some of you are nodding your head. Feel free to shout out amen. It's perfectly fine. We're better than everybody else. My first thought was how dare she, All right? My second thought, which I believe was actually from the Holy Spirit of God, was, you think it's a picnic to be married to you? (laughs) And where I ended up about 30 seconds, 45 seconds later, was thanking God that this woman would stay with me, now going on 37 years, knowing what a miserable wretch I am. And knowing that that in the past, I would have berated her about that. 
I would have gotten in her face about that. I would have done the exact opposite of cherishing her. I would have destroyed her spirit for at least a better part of a day by telling her why she was such a bad person for not having gas in her car. Are you kidding me? But that's the way my natural heart goes. But there's a transformation that's taking part in my life. So the reason I tell you a story is not because I'm a good guy now, but because God is breaking the old and he's bringing the new. And that's always going to have an impact on the people around you. So as we, as, we, as we invite God to do that work in our lives, as we seek to, to know what it means to really be in Christ, God's going to transform us. So we get to the therefore, and we begin to see things like humility and gentleness and grace and kindness. But also being in Christ is a present reality. It's who we are. But it's also, as I just said, it's an ongoing process. It's, it's a change that takes place. So, so I can guarantee you that even though I kind of got that one right this morning and I, and I can't wait to get to the gas station after church and put in $32 of gas in her car because that'll get it right on half a tank and I can feel okay. <laughs> but <laughs> all the way, thank you. I will do that. Um, and, I, and I promise I will. Thank you for calling me out on that. But But... That's because God's changing my heart. It's not because I'm doing it right. It's because God's replacing something bad with something that's really, really good, which is the presence of Jesus Christ in my heart and in my life. Now, this change doesn't happen without both blessings and challenges. There, there are moments when, when these lights come on and you begin to follow Christ and you begin to, as you're in him, you see really great things happening and, and, and some good stuff happens and you get really excited about it. But there are other moments where in order to grow in Christ, you're going to meet with a challenge and, and, and it could be difficult. And, and there are moments where you go, boy, this is really hard. You have to understand that what God is doing is not abandoning you, but he's calling you to a deeper trust in him. So this notion of humility and gentleness and, and, and speaking the truth and love with one another is very much a process of growth in Christ. So we need to understand that that comes with a blessing, but it also comes with a challenge. And I'm going to give you a really silly story to, to, to illustrate this. I was traveling recently and I was going through an airport and you get to security uh, and you give them your little boarding pass, right? And you give them your, your driver's license, your passport, whatever, your photo ID. So I was handing this to the person. I, this was not in St. Louis. I was on my inbound coming back. I was not leaving. And as I'm, as I'm standing there, he takes the thing and he puts it under the blue light and whatever, and it beeps and he hands, hands me the boarding pass back. And then he takes the, the driver's license. And he looks at the driver's license and he looks at me. He looks back at the driver's license and he looks at me. And let's just say right here, you don't want to mess around with TSA people. You, it's not the time to crack jokes. And so I just was quiet, and I'm thinking, I'm pretty sure that's my driver's license. And he looks at me, and he goes, man, you've really lost some weight. <laughs> and I'm like, wait, i got to get my phone out. Could you do that again? No. <laughs> I started laughing. Not like, that's a blessing, because I have lost some weight. And, and, and he noticed, and I'll never see him again, I don't think. I kind of hope I never see him again. But... Um, but it, that was kind of a blessing. So now I'm going on through and I put my luggage and you take your shoes off and your belt. And, and I was wearing a pair of pants that were a pair of slacks that I hadn't had taken in. And they were two sizes too big. And I took the belt off and I put it down and I immediately grabbed onto my, onto my britches. Well, now you have to go through the thing where you stand like this, right? <laughs> I'm glad you think it's funny. <laughs> So again, you don't mess with TSA people, right? So I go in and I go, <laughs> and the woman says, put your other hand up. So I said, <laughs> now I feel like I'm in an Abbott and Costello movie, right? 
And she goes, both hands at the same time. And I said, I really don't think you want me to do that. <laughs> and she kind of chuckled and came out. And I said, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, here's what happened. I said, you know, uh, do whatever you need to do. And she let me go through. That was kind of an embarrassing, <laughs> difficult moment. Right? I was hoping it didn't go badly. Now, that's silly. There are hard moments that are not silly. There are incredibly difficult moments in my growth in Christ and your growth in Christ that deal with things that are tragic and hard and not just embarrassing, but, but sometimes downright humiliating. And yet we have to understand that being in Christ means that God is marking our steps and he brings those hard things, not because he doesn't love us, but because he loves us and because he wants us to know the fullest measure of what it means to be in Christ. And then my, my last thought under this, who we are is demonstrated by how we live, is that, that God is giving us individual gifts and blessings in order to bless the collective, in order to, to bless the, the, the community of faith as well as the world outside. So in chapter 2, verse 10, Paul says this after talking about our salvation. He says, for we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. There are good works that God has for you that are very different than the good works that God has for me. And the good works he has for you are very different from the good works he has from her and so on and so forth. All of that's orchestrated by a sovereign God who knows what's best for the family. And he knows what he needs to do to speak into people's lives, to bring them to faith, to draw them to himself. But surprise of all surprises, he's going to use you and he's going to use me to do that. We need to understand that this is not about me. Can we all just say that together? It's not about me. One, two, three. It's not about me. I kind of hate it when pastors do that, but for some reason that just seemed important. I get so wrapped up in what's good for Tom and what Tom wants. Tom wants Cindy to put gas on the car. Really, does it matter that much? And, and we forget that God has not saved us just to an individual relationship with him through Christ, but he saved us to a community of faith. So whatever the vision for Green Tree is in the future, it's certainly going to include how we are a family and how we invite our entire community to be a family with us. It's going to have some ingredient of that in there. There, there can't be folks that don't feel at home here. That just isn't right. And we need to understand that God's placed us here because he wants us to know that he has good works prepared before him. God picked this building out before we ever even dreamt of it. And God called you to himself before you even had a notion that he, he wanted to love you and redeem you. Why? Because he wants us to be his instruments to share that with others. I think that's a really good reason to study the book of Ephesians. So I bring you to the application, which I said, start reading. <laughs> if you haven't already, let me encourage you to just sit with it and just soak it in and look for that phrase in Christ and begin to put your name in that blank. We're beginning a journey and for a lot of you, I know you've studied the book of, of Ephesians, so perhaps we're re-entering. But we're starting on a journey this week into knowing and experiencing more deeply what it means for us to be in Christ, both individually and as a family of God. Will you pray with me? Father, we bless your name this morning. We are thankful that Paul reminds us we start with you, not with us. And as we see a vision of you, we, we are overwhelmed by your majesty and your glory. And then to think that you want to 
be in relationship with folks like us is, is truly remarkable. And the way that you've done that is to bring us into Christ. So Lord, I pray that you would teach each one of us more and more what that means, what that looks like in our lives. For, for us, it'll, many things will be the same. Salvation is, is the same for every one of us. It's confess, confessing our sins and coming to you in faith through Christ. But there's also different things that will happen in our lives. For some, it'll be a change in a marriage. For others, it will be a, a new heart and a new vision for people around them. For, for others, it might be looking at, at the culture in a different way and, and being more open to uh, seeing that everyone uh, feels welcome. For others, it might be a, a different way of uh, approaching our finances. Lord, whatever it is, we thank you that it's prepared in advance and that your desire is that we, we truly embrace and revel in what it means to be in Christ for your glory and for our good. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.